raise a couple more to the revolution. We have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over. Welcome to another edition of the Q Zero Theater Cast. This is your host, Artistic Director Dan Pelletier. Back from our uh, mini unplanned hiatus as I recover from uh, you know some winter allergies coupled with a head cold. I'm sure, no one wanted to listen to a podcast where I couldn't breathe out my nose and I didn't have much of a voice, so I didn't get to get in the episode I wanted to do about award ceremonies before the theater awards, and I feel if I record that now, everyone's just going to accuse me of being salty, that we didn't win anything, and I'm not, which again, I know people aren't going to believe, but I'm not. You know, I'm real happy for the winners. It was a uh, an honor just for Q Zero to have four acting nominations in our first year, and I got an award the next day, anyways. Uh, you know, thank you to the union leader for uh, naming me to the 40 under 40 list. So that's uh, you know fantastic news. But anyways, enough rambling for me. Today's episode, I am here with the two leading ladies of our upcoming production of The Importance of Being Earnest. Uh, to my left is Emily Thompson, who is playing Gwendolyn. To my right is Caroline DeBroda, uh, and she is playing Cecily. Uh, say hello to the good people. Hi. Uh, thank you guys for taking this time after our delightful little rehearsal to uh, you know chat, get to know the people. You know, we're real excited to have you. Um, you know, this has been a wonderful process. We're about what about a month into rehearsals. We're yeah. just getting to. Gosh, are we? Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Dang. We we actually open a month from today from a recording. Whoa, yeah. Whoa. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Uh, scary, scary times. Um, but, you know, it's going really well. I'm really excited. Uh, you know, we've got a great ensemble of uh, eight performers, uh, delightful stage manager, and we're getting a lot of hype. And, um, you know, so I want to take this time to, you know, get to know some of the cast so you guys can be familiar with them. Um, so why don't we start with you, Emily, if you can uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your theater background, and how you came to be a part of this production. Yes, so I grew up here in Manchester performing at the historic Palace Theater. Um, I went off to college for a year. <laughs> um, studying you graduated music. that fast. Yeah, wow. I was very, I was that good. A one year BFA. Top year, top in my class. Um, <laughs> I went to college for a year. Um, unfortunately, had to give that up because um, being a starving artist is not the best life path to go on. Mm. <laughs> Um, so I uh, came back home. I ended up graduating with a culinary arts degree, um, but there was always something missing from my life in the form of theater, even after I, um, you know, stepped away from the culinary world. And so I found myself um, in, a, in a sort of a, a lull. So I saw the importance of being earnest, um, audition, Notice? Yeah, the audition notice, ah, and, I, <laughs> and I um, absolutely love this play. I performed in high school as Miss Prism in this show, um, so I could not help myself uh, and auditioned once again. And uh, Caroline, how'd you come to be a member of the ensemble here? I am an engineer from Indiana, where I was born and raised. I attended... Rose Holman Institute of Technology, where actually just 
in spring of 2018, I was in another performance of The Importance of Being Earnest mm. playing Lady Bracknell <laughs> at the ripe old age of 22, uh, which I, you know, that is definitely a little younger than Lady Bracknell is usually played, but we wanted her to be, you know, a lady of a particular age, and that age was 22. You're telling me that a 22-year-old can't have a 22-year-old daughter? They shoe polished a stripe into my hair is what I'm going to say. Great. Uh, now I'm end- in Manchester. Yeah, how did you end up in Manchester from all the way out there? I moved here for a job. Ah, okay. All right. I was going to say, you know, there's always... Not that I don't love this great state, but just it's... <laughs> it's a small state. It's this a small isn't state. what you think it's, about yeah, when you think the, the arts. It's definitely not... It's not one that you would think, like, you know, it would be like... Boston or New York or Philadelphia, I'm going to transfer to Manchester. I got to say, coming from the Midwest where everything is flat and you look on the horizon and there is a flat line of trees and then the blue sky above, it's pretty freaking wild to look out and see hills, (laughs) sometimes mountains. Yeah, we've got flat. It's called the ocean. Yeah, I know. And then see the ocean even. We don't have that in Indiana. Oh, great. Well, again, we're you know glad to have uh, the both of you. Um, Thank you. I don't know which one of you wants to uh, you know go first, but if you want to tell us a little bit about the characters that you play uh, in this time you're in the show. Um, you know, I started yeah. with Emily last time. So, Caroline, tell me about Cecily. Uh, Cecily is like that homeschooled middle schooler who's real weird, but she doesn't have enough peers to know how weird she is. <laughs> She's pretty much been raised alone with this kind of doddering old woman Miss Prism as her only friend and companion. And Cecily is bored. She is rich and bored. And in her free time, she's been fantasizing about this character who is the the promised earnest, the theoretical younger brother of Jack Worthing, her guardian. And in her eyes, Ernest is this dashing, roguish bad boy who she's probably been writing some horrible self-insert fan fictions about, <laughs> and as such has gone so far into her imaginary world that she's literally engaged to him but like for real (laughs) in her dream world before even meeting him yes without ever having met him or even knowing that he's real for that regard Uh, emily tell me about gwendolyn gwendolyn is a product of the upper class she is i mean she is better than everyone else but she doesn't necessarily need to flaunt it um, (laughs) but she will but But she she will will. but she will in the end she doesn't have to but she will um she has spent her whole life under her mother's her very overbearing mother's thumb she's the only daughter um in her family and her dream scenario would be to meet and fall in love with and marry and live happily ever after with any man in the world whose name is Ernest. She is fixated on the name Ernest. She does not care who or what rather the gentleman who ends up being Ernest looks like. She does not care 
for anything except for the name of Ernest. Um, she is a lot, she gives herself a lot more credit than she probably deserves. Mm. I think vapid um, would be a good word. Yeah, good vapid. I, I, I think we, we talked about it early in rehearsal that every character in this play definitely has that uh, Dunning-Kruger Dunning effect of, yeah, being <laughs> too stupid to not know that you're stupid Yeah. Um, with these high society types. Yes. Um, so, you know, you've both been in the show before, and funnily enough, I, you've both played each other character's uh, mother figure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Yes! Yeah. So what's it's it what's it like now getting to play, you know, going from playing these characters that are written to be, you know, somewhere in their 40s to their 60s to now <laughs> playing characters that are your own age? What's the um, both, you know, what's different this time around playing these characters and what's different this time around about, you know, this production versus what you've done before? Oh, gosh. Um, I think to a certain extent, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. They're characters who are informed by the same societal norms and ideals and thus act in certain ways around certain people, you know, very, very formal in the presence of polite company, but more relaxed when there's family members present. Mm. I would say, though, that playing Cecily compared to playing Lady Bracknell, Lady Bracknell <laughs> is someone who feels that she knows everything. She certainly would believe that she's seen it all, heard it all, done it all, and she's bored to death of all of it. It's all so stupid and trivial. Whereas Cecily has a little more legitimate innocence to herself and stupidity oh absolutely <laughs> stupidity so but some some of it's just innocence i'd say prism well prism and gwendolyn two completely different beasts i mean prism is probably way more flighty than gwendolyn is in a sense um both very at, at the core, both very clueless individuals, um, both very dreamy individuals. So I guess that might be a little bit similar between them. Um, but yeah, I mean, a prism was a lot more difficult for me to obviously settle into uh, as far as the age thing goes. But I think Gwendolyn, uh, who she is as a person is a, is a little more of a challenge for me to settle into now. Um, her, her, just her demeanor, her, uh, how she commands a room type of a thing. That's a, that's a little bit more of a challenge for me to get into. Whereas Prism was very easy, very flighty, very, um, a simple woman, really. <laughs> a simple woman. Maybe a little simpler than that. Even. Yeah. Simpler than that, even. Don't, don't worry about offending her. She's fictional. <laughs> And even she if she wasn't, she'd, well. she'd been dead she for probably a long mean time. Well. <laughs> oh, no, uh, that's your, how. Uh, what grade were you in when you played uh, Miss Prism? <laughs> so I was a freshman in high school, the <laughs> youngest, <laughs> the youngest individual in the show, mind you. Playing. At like playing fourteen, one of the, yes, I was fourteen years old playing Miss Prism. I think. Possibly the oldest character Facebook. in the show. The old one of the, if you, not the oldest character in the show. We didn't. 
make, I mean, we did not do a single thing to my hair. It was brown. It was curly. It was down. I looked like a child. I looked younger than our Cecily. So it was very, it was a very interesting show. If you would love, if you could find those pictures, I would love to yes. share them with the Q0 audience. I think it'd be yes. great. Same thing if you've got your. Oh, I've got a picture yeah. of me freshman year of college playing the hair hag, the old beggar woman from Les Mis. Yeah. And that was great. Yeah, send me send me some of those photos so we can do a compare. Throwback. Like, the last time you were in the show. Yeah, we'll do a throwback. Throwback to when I was 40 to 80 years older. Yes, exactly. Oh, no, that's, uh, Funny. that's great. So, like, kind of, not just, like, the characters, but, like, what has this particular production been, um, you know, different or new? Like, what have you discovered about the piece uh, in our process that you might not have realized before i mean again you know we keep just we can't stop laughing in rehearsals we just realized how uh iconic so many of the lines are and that there's not a wasted moment and it's so greatly constructed but like what new things have you discovered about the play physical comedy absolutely physical comedy so much more physical comedy even even just not even from a directorial standpoint but even just between us actors the impulse for the physical comedy has been a lot more, um, I mean, at least for me, present in this show. You get your head too down in the text. Like, I first read this show in high school, like, for class. Mm -hmm. Then we watched the movie version of it, and I saw it in high school because they did it at my high school. And all of these times you've just heard it and read it so many times that it stops having the opportunity for new actions Mm -hmm. in your mind. But when either something grows organically or something's been proposed, like, why don't you grab that item and threaten to throw it at him? You know, (laughs) stuff like that. You just see it and you go, oh my God. This is what the scene has been missing. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, I definitely think that's been a a good, important emphasis is where it is a... I mean, at this point, 130-year-old play that we want it to feel fresh and modern. You know, so for all of our budding actors out there, you know, don't just uh, you got to look for things beyond the text, and you yes. got to look for um, you know, don't just copy what everybody else has done. Right. I always I always tell my high schoolers, actually, I tell all of my actors, you can trace the Mona Lisa, but that doesn't make you Da Vinci. You got to make it your own. You got to know the why, and you, know, you can't just uh, be connecting the dots there. So tell me, um, either one of you, just uh, how you got into theater, like what brought you to it, what do you love about it, um, why do you decide to come spend your free time playing make-believe and then <laughs> charging people to see it? Um, I mean, for me, um, I... Remember being in junior high school and two in this building actually. Um, two of my classmates were performing in a Christmas Carol at the Palace Theater, and we went as a school. It's a small school, uh, like two hundred students for two grades. Um, we went as a school to one of the um, daytime performances of the show, and it was the first time I had ever, I think. Well, it wasn't the first time I had been to the Palace Theater, but it was the first time I recognized that people my age 
were doing theater on that stage. Prior to that, I had only seen adults doing it. Um, but when I saw kids my age doing it, I I had always loved singing. I had always, you know, loved putting on shows with my sisters and my cousins. Um, so now to have an opportunity to kind of do it on the main stage for real in real life, you know, kind of professionally, quote unquote, <laughs> at 12 or 13 years old, um, to be able to actually perform on stage, I was I jumped at the opportunity. And my first show at the palace was the adventures of Tom Sawyer. Um, which was loads of fun. I mean, long show probably shouldn't have been a youth production, <laughs> um, but it was a very good show. And that was my that was my introduction to real kind of professional theater. And you know, all, throughout high school, I, I stuck with it. I absolutely loved performing. And eventually, I was um, I was welcomed into the Palestine Company, a training program for students wishing to pursue theater beyond high school. Um, so I finished out my palace career there in that program and then went on to study theater in college for a year. <laughs> but what a year it was. But what a year it was. New York was great. Well, we're, we're glad. To, I mean, you know, unfor- as unfortunate it is to have to give up on that, we're glad to have you. Yeah. You know, to it's have, great to be back. Yeah. I didn't want to give it up. No. I certainly didn't. It's a, but to have a NYU caliber talent here with us, <laughs> I couldn't be couldn't ask for more. So you, yourself, um, Caroline? I come from a ludicrously performative and theatrical family. Just... I have three siblings. We're all close in age. Um, And that has built a very strong rapport among us to the point where we would tell stories with silly voices. And uh, my sister read the Harry Potter books out loud to us with a British accent. That's (laughs) that's actually how I learned a British accent. Um, (laughs) At like age seven. Uh, Just singing and dancing and going crazy in our own special way at home. And when I was in fifth grade, that was the youngest that you could be to be in one of the school shows. So I think at that point, gawky, awkward little me was like, yeah, I'm going to audition for this performance of Aladdin Jr. And that was the beautiful jump start to a solid eight years of being underutilized as an ensemble member. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yep. Very underutilized. But following uh, going to college at a small engineering school, that's where you actually get, you know, more opportunities to really like let, let you explore your craft and grow as a performer when mm. you obviously just don't have as many people who you're competing with. And I had a director who saw that spark within me and realized, oh wait, you need to be playing these character roles because that's who you are. Mm. I'm a complete character in my own right, in my own life. I can't help it, it's how I was (laughs) raised. Yeah. And so when I play these silly roles, it's so natural because it just clicks with me. I can't do the ingenue or something like that because right. it's like, how do you play normal when you're not, not normal? normal. Mm. And I am not normal. <laughs> it, I, I think you make a great point. Sometimes like 
you know, if you're used to only performing with one group or, you know, one director that has decided this is the type of roles you play, you can miss out on a lot of great opportunities. And I mean, I hope you're okay with me saying this, you know, like if I just saw your headshot, I'd go, yes, ingenue, great. That's what you're, but you're, you know, you're not, you're a great, you know, phys- physical comedy uh, actress that understands, you know, how to be a little goofier and have fun and go there. So, which is a great thing that you don't get a lot of, you know, that. Um, so it's a, you know, a benefit to you. So that's a, you know, again, I like to shout out to our budding actors out there. If you're not happy with the roles you're getting, try a different theater. You know, you try a different director. Somebody might see you differently. Every director is going to see you differently, which is yeah. really like I hate when like you have like a discussion of like type. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, every director will see you differently. I try more to look at like try to break it down to like what do you what s- skills do you bring to the table? Right. What, like, what can you, you do yeah. with those skills. What are your three best qualities as a performer rather than trying to be like ingenue, mm. leading jock, like whatever it may be? I definitely played a lot of roles where I was like the mom or the yeah. the silly <laughs> aunt or something like yeah. that. And I figured this is fine because usually those roles are very silly and they were. Um, and then my director had cast me as a Clarice, the young love interest in Servant of Two Masters. And that role is ridiculous. And I was like, wow, okay, wait, yeah, I can play this role. It's different from what I've been doing, but I am ready. Like, Mm. thank you for taking this leap of faith and letting me explore a completely different character, one who's young and ridiculous rather than old and uppity and ridiculous <laughs> right but still uppity don't get me wrong yeah so kind of building off of that could you talk maybe a little bit about you know one or two of your favorite roles why you enjoyed them like what was you know great about them Ooh, helena from midsummer night's dream mm. yeah was a great character to play i love shakespeare Shakespeare is hilarious. If you don't think that's true, you have to see it performed. Trust me on that. You have to see it performed. You're going to have to join our Gorilla Shakespeare troupe then when we get that back and up and going. Uh, I will be there. Yeah. <laughs> name, name the day. Emily's been in, I think you've been in all of them. Ye- yes. Yeah. yeah. All, even Midsummer, Midsum- Julius Caesar. Ju- much Ado and Mackers. Much Ado was so much fun. I don't know. I had fun. I was recounting the story of uh, Macbeth at the Shaskeen today. <laughs> the Scottish play at an Irish yeah, pub. Ta- <laughs> just, just talking about, you know, Is like... okay? Can, you do, can know, we do that? Young, about young Macduff being played by the... the, the stuff, by the sock By the stuffed frog. And, <laughs> he has killed me, mother! And then throwing it across the bar. <laughs> That was a lot of fun. It was. And that, I mean, I think we had the most fun on that one just out of the fact that, like, we, we lost. We were in a bar. We were in a, yeah, we were in the bar. We were two actors short because it, it was like people were getting sick. So yep. we're, we've got to do this show with five people. Great. We're going to do three parts each person. Yeah. It, it, at it, a minimum. It was a lot of fun. But, yeah, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, talk a little bit more about your uh, uh, you know, the roles you've enjoyed. We did Midsummer Night's Dream in kind of a 1960s style. I had this great Jackie Kennedy, like, pink dress and coat and hat ensemble. It was awesome. But just sort of the process of justifying and meshing the old text with the 
what I what I would definitely say is one of Shakespeare's most accessible shows. Mm. I've seen a production of Midsummer Night's Dream that was so funny, I was in tears, and I was so ready to bring that same level of humor with this sort of complicated text that people might not necessarily understand at face value. Mm. But when you see it acted, if it's being acted well, it it flows like language that you understand. It's mm -hmm. everything makes sense. You know where it's going. You know what's happening. And it is funny. My God, mm. it's funny. Yeah. It is. I, I, I hate to say it, but... Now, I doubt anyone that I went to high school with that's going to be upset by this uh, listens to the podcast. And if you do, hi. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I was in I was in, I was in midsummer my senior year of high school. And if the mechanicals weren't on stage, the audience didn't laugh. Like yeah. Helena and her or, or Helena and Hermia took everything way too seriously oh. and just played everything at like oh. such a face value that like it was. So silent, <laughs> but yeah, and like, and, and that to me, that was my point, like entry point of Midsummer. I'm just like, yep, the bottom and Friends are the funny part, but then like everything else that happens, the central plot to the yeah, show, right, awful. Yeah, <laughs> scrap it. Yes, I need bottom or Titania on stage, but then like when we did it, and you know, or I you know worked a little bit on a cotton, like, oh wait, the rest of the play can be funny too, and you don't have pretentious people playing these parts yeah. uh, again hi to anybody that i w went to high school with if you're listening <laughs> to this I'm, i don't care um, <laughs> i hated high school that's a podcast for another day emily same question talk to me about some of your favorite you know, favorite role or two of yours and why they were so important to you um so in my, I think my junior year of high school, in that in that teen company program at the palace, we did Legally Blonde. I knew that's oh my where God, the story I was going. If I was not going to talk about Midsummer, I was going to be talking <laughs> about, about Legally Blonde. Blonde. <laughs> Please go on. We've done all the same shows. I think Caroline and I. <laughs> I've, like I've done it twice. I've done it twice. I've done the Susicle three times. <laughs> oh, 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 you poor child. It was only bad the first time. It's um, bad every time. It's bad every time. Um, so I think uh, Legally Blonde, I played Paulette. <gasps> yes! We're bonding right now. This oh, is a bonding experience. <laughs> I think so. Um, uh, so Paulette, I th I had no idea. I mean, I, I not that I didn't know Legally Blonde all that well, but I went into it um, only having seen the movie. Um, the, you know, so I, my idea when I was cast as Paulette, I was like, oh, I got to play the old frumpy lady who's got a weird, you know, sounding voice. Great. Okay. <laughs> um, it turned out to be the most fun I've ever had playing a role ever. I, I don't think I had ever played a goofy character necessarily before. So being able to let loose with her was the best. I mean, I just, I remember it totally had been unscripted. The director hadn't told me to do it, um, but when Paulette puts on the whale and your music, I just, I remember going over to the stage, pressing the button, and then just, oh, <laughs> like I was having some kind of orgasm. <laughs> and I didn't, I entirely did not mean that at all, but it got the hugest laugh from the audience that oh. I just was living for the rest of the show. Like, this is the best day of my life. I've never made someone <laughs> laugh like this before. 
So Paulette has to be one of my favorites. Um, probably a very close follow-up would have been Sheila in a chorus line, which I wish I could do again so badly because I had done the show as a senior in high school, again, in this training program for um, theater kids. And I, I don't think, I mean, it was the last show I was ever doing on the palace stage, so it certainly had that gravity to it. But now that I'm older, and now that I'm a little more jaded, like my character <laughs> is, I wish to God I could play her again, because I absolutely loved her, too. She was just so sassy and so fun, and oh, God. I believe I saw both those productions. I enjoyed Legally Blonde a lot Thank in you. Dear Paulette. <laughs> so Cor- chorus line, I could... It's just not for me. Chorus line's not for I, everyone. I won't. I won't. Call, it's not even for me. Yeah, I'm not a dancer. I'm by not going to call it a bad but... show, but I, I just don't like it. It makes me sad. I, I joke. I'm like, it makes me sad for reasons I don't want to be sad. Like I can watch like the, the small child die on stage. I can watch Gosh. all the oh, all yeah. this horrible Chorus shit. Chorus line is and, existential and, like, sad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chorus line is about seeing your dreams yeah. not become a reality, and that which that was <laughs> true horror. Which was exactly what happened to me at the end of my first year of NYU. So, <laughs> like I said, I'd really love to play Sheila again <laughs> and use that experience. Yeah. Channel that method. To channel method. that. <laughs> right. Exactly. The reason. Like, yeah. Kilgraf Rosh. I can't watch Don't the end. Of, yeah. Can't watch the end of Little Shop without crying. <laughs> you know, there's there's a couple episodes of Scrubs that I'll watch when I need a good cry. But tell me we're gonna watch Coruscant. I'm like, nope. Don't need that in my life. <laughs> Miss me with that. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that we've discovered these. You I know, can't believe we both played Paula. Seriously, we'll have to bring out your resumes. Yes, yeah, comparing, comparing, yeah, show, not just shows, what but have we done? characters. Check, check, yeah, check. for me, Paulette was like my dream role. I, I love the character of Paulette. When I was in high school and we did Legally Blonde, I was just an ensemble member and I was like a Harvard student, and it was really boring. And the girl oh, who was playing as Paulette, I was like, man, that role is funny. I could do. I could do that role. Mm. Like I know that it, they gave it to her, but that actually could be me. Mm-hmm. I definitely could do that, mm. and that would be a really good role for me. And it was a really good role for me. And my director, <laughs> when I did it in college, was like, "Caroline, I love that you've got this really, it's really stiff, awkward, robotic <laughs> way to your dancing." And I'm like, mm, no, Dr. Hartnett, that's, that's, that's just me. Because <laughs> this is me. Like, this character is perfect for me. Like, the, the people who are so goofy that they're sometimes just uncomfortable in normal scenarios. Because yep. it's just like, mm, sorry, I have to let it out. I'm going to do the weird dance. Yeah. But I'm going to be living with it. I'm going to bend and snap, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's... <laughs> It's a fantastic show. I've actually directed a teen production, and funnily enough, my Paulette won a New Hampshire Theater Award. Good for her. So, yeah. Paulette's all around. Paulette's yes. all around, yeah. Paulette. I wish yes. it's a show that I feel like every youth organization in the area has done, but no like adult community theater has done, and yeah. I really think it needs to be done. It's such, yeah. a, such a fun show. It's got a great message. The music is fun. I like it the seems the music is actually a the music is it's really, like, yeah. really it's good. Got a, like there was an MTV show about finding yeah, a new Elle Woods. This I, was a good show. Like having <laughs> having to like listen to the score broken down so many times. There's like this like subtle like 
disco feel under all yeah. of the songs that like kind of comes out and the just... fact that Elle's dad's line is basically like what you would have an oboe doing yeah i will never get over that that's amazing <laughs> yeah it's such there's all these great character parts and i mean who shows up to the majority of auditions for community theater girls yeah yeah so there's need, a ton uh, of girls in that yeah. show so you know if someone wants to give q0 a giant pile of cash i'll gladly direct yeah. uh legally blonde again but if not you know checks if, may be made out too yeah <laughs> if not if you're listening out there uh you know whether you're uh actor singers or nashua theater any community theater group in the area legally blonde adults yeah. adults adults not, yeah legally not, not for your teen program adult legally yeah. blonde Hello, Q0 fans. Q0 business advisor and performer Jake Ranlett here, interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast to talk about Q0 sponsorship and membership. As I'm sure you know, theater is really expensive, and we cannot survive on ticket sales alone, which is why we have these two awesome programs that not only allow Q0 to continue to revolutionize the performing arts scene in New Hampshire, but has incredible benefits for you as well. Sponsors get their name and logo in our playbill, on our posters, mentioned in our podcasts, listed on our press releases, and so much more. We go out of our way to make sure everyone knows about you and thanks you for helping make Q0 possible. We also have our membership program for individuals who want a little bit more bang for their buck and a lot more Q0 in their lives. We have 10 different levels of membership, starting as low as $2 a month. Every level of membership comes with awesome perks, such as early access to the Q0 Theater cast, discounts on tickets and merchandise, exclusive behind-the-scenes video content, the ability to read our New Works blog, and so much more. The more you give, the more you get. If you want to be a vital part of the Q0 revolution, head on over to cztheater.com and click the Support CZT link to become a sponsor or a member today. And now, back to the podcast. Um, cool. So let's uh, let's bring it back to Ernest. Sell sell us on the show. Why should people come see not just seek out a a production of the importance of being Ernest, but why should people come see this production of the importance of being Ernest? Because I'm in it. Because <laughs> <laughs> Caroline's in it. Yes, exactly. Thank you. That's all. That's all we She's have. Okay. We flew her out here from Indiana. Come see the show. <laughs> She's phenomenal. Great. Tickets sold. But if you, need, <laughs> if you needed a reason, two and three. I, I mean, I'd say, I don't know. I, I, I honestly feel a little more intelligent having done this show again. I just, I mean, not that this is raising my IQ, but just the language of this show. I mean, it, you have to, you're on your toes, you're really thinking, and just the way it sounds too. You know how... Hmm. 
Sometimes, you know, you listen to a TED talk and you're like, oh, I just, I feel that much smarter now. (laughs) I think that this show is kind of the same. It's, It's, and it's funny too. You're right. You're learning something kind of, and it's funny, but you didn't learn a single thing. It's it's funny because you have such smartly written idiots. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's where the humor lies. Yeah. I I, I can totally see that. So come see the show if you need a, like a little. Yeah. You need, need need boost in your your brain. Who needs a laugh at the end of February? (laughs) The end of February is such a great time in New England. It's not a miserable, cold, dreary post Valentine's Day. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Uh, I would say people should come see this show because like now as ever because Oscar Wilde is a genius like society needs the importance of being (laughs) earnest these society satires that are that were funny then and they're funny now Mm -hmm. they're still funny in like the same way is Mm. the thing like you would think some of these older shows oh that would have been funny if I understood the class dynamics of the 1700s yeah. or how life was in the Renaissance or something like this. But this, this is accessible. This is universal. Mm. Yeah. This is about the people in the positions of power with ludicrous amounts of wealth but they're who think stupid. they're hot shit and they're not. <laughs> yeah, I mean... People timeless. People still think they're smarter and better than they are, and play by stupid rules and pretend to be who they, they're not just to they fit got in money. in society. It's not even people with money; it's just everyone playing the game. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. You know, I, I talk a lot um, about like a show like Annie, and I wonder if in 20 years, people Annie's still going to be a show that sells really well because half of the humor relies on 1930s pop culture references. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, Grease, it just doesn't. Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Whereas like a show like this, there are a few like cultural references, but they're not vital to the humor or the plot. Like you might be thrown off by not knowing the name. What of, a monthly magazine is. Yeah, knowing the, <laughs> knowing the name of the magazine or the the exchange rate from 19 or 1890s British pounds to today American dollars and realizing just how loaded all these people are. Mm. But you're right, yeah. The humor is in the witty, smartly written idiots yeah. and the physical comedy. Plus, like you were saying with your initial concept of possibly staging it in a modern context, this is the sort of stuff that everyone is doing nowadays. Like, oh, I'm Ernest in town and Jack in the country. It's like, well, I'm Facebook Caroline or Instagram Caroline, right. but I'm or Caroline. If, life, if Caroline. you meet me in my in my apartment while I'm laying on the couch, like that's a completely different Caroline than the cute <laughs> polished one you'd see on my posts, stuff yes. like that. Just putting forward the sort of society face and private face yeah. and everyone's been there, everyone's seen that or done it in their own life. Mm. Like I feel the scene we worked tonight, there's that there's a shift between like when it's just the two of you on stage, it's like uh, Twitter DMs, and then the second the butler walks in, you guys are Instagram filtered. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> For lack of a yeah. a better term. See, um, we're hip with all young about people. Appearance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all about appearances. That's what this show is kind of just the universal. It's all about appearances, mm. and that will never die. 
sadly. <laughs> you would. We'll never be a society where it's it's not... current year. Yeah. Shouldn't it be better by now? Nope. No. 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 Some things will never change. Yeah, it's twenty. And that's why. That's why this show is always going to be good. Yes. Some things will never change. R- rich people will always be snooty. Idiots will always think they're smart. Mm-hmm. And everybody will always try to be polite, even when we want to throw tea cake in each other's hair. Yes. <laughs> when I'm interviewing the cast members, I usually just throw out some like random theater questions to you. So rapid fire, uh, Emily, dream role. Oh God, that's so on the that spot. That you haven't played. Uh, that I haven't played. I, I mean, recently, very recently, got into the um, new musical Six. Um, it originated in the West End, and now it's coming to Broadway this spring, and I will be seeing it. Um, in a couple of weeks okay. in the previews. Ooh, I desperately want to play Catherine of Aragon. I love her song. I, first of all, love the history of Six. I love the story of Henry VIII's wives and whatnot. Um, big history buff myself. So, um, and Catherine, obviously, the paragon of wives. So um, definitely dream role would be Catherine of Aragon in Six, Great. I think, right Caroline. now. Caroline, same question. Uh, the chaperone from Drowsy Chaperone. That, like, when I was in high school and stuff and occasionally playing ensemble parts and such, and I'm just like, man, I just don't feel like I am doing, like, the right thing, being, you know, lady number six in the background of the scene, being a regular townsperson milling about. That was around the time that I got into the Drowsy Chaperone, and I'm like, here is this loud awkward ridiculous woman (laughs) playing this big funny funny part just an absolute character and i was like that i can't wait to play that like (laughs) i would love to play that hopefully we'll get to make that happen uh caroline what's your like what type of show draws you to the theater like what what do you seek out in a in a production like what's going to get you through the door oh I love musicals, like any any musical. Any I'm, musical, I'm there. Like Ham- Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> through Lin Manuel. No, I don't know about Rodgers and Hammerstein. Let's okay. not go that far. Right, if right. the tickets are free, <laughs> yes, yes. If the tickets are free and it's a musical, I will go to anything. Okay. It can be anything. Right. Um, I love musical storytelling. So just the way that the words mesh with the with the language and the text and the scene, or if it's sung through, how that was accomplished and achieved musicals i love Mm. also just any funny show i just eat up theater dramas have their time and place and i will watch them and i love them but god comedies i think to this day of comedies that i've seen 10 12 years ago and i will still laugh remembering how i saw it staged and how well it was performed it's just magical. Mm. Emily, same question. What gets you into it gets your butt in a seat? Um, like I had said, I'm a little bit of a history buff. So if the show, um, preferably a musical, although I would not be opposed to a straight play, um, but uh, the musical itself, if it has more of a grounding in actual history, like ragtime, I love ragtime. Loved ragtime. Um, I worked on the lighting crew for that. Uh, my freshman year, my only year at NYU. Um, so I was sitting there through the entire run, just lighting the show, and I fell in love with the show. 
Um, you know, Bonnie and Clyde. I love Bonnie and Clyde mm. for the music, but mostly for the actual history of it. Um, mm. So for me, it's less of like the, you know, oh, I love this composer's work. Like I will, I worship at this composer's feet, you know. It's less the story and more, you know, the history that kind of piques my interest. Miss Saigon, you know, Great. all that, yeah. Interesting. All right, last, uh, last of our rapid fire theater questions. This is one I like to pose to people. So let's imagine there's this magical theater that you're going to be locked in with everything you'll need to survive. And you must sit through the complete works of one composer. What composer do you pick? And you, can, you can't skip any play. They'll not be abridged. They're going to be performed in the order they were written. One composer. Whichever one of you wants to go first can go first. Can I just say Lin Manuel Miranda and we're good with that? Lin Manuel. Because I mean, like, that's not like I have to sit through. That's like you have been chosen. <laughs> yeah. So wait, I mean, you got In the Heights. You've got Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You've got Bring It On. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he wrote the. You have Twenty One Chump Street. You have Twenty One Chump Street, <laughs> which is exquisite. Um, People need to know about. Do that we one. count like the work he's done for like Disney? You know, sure. Yeah, Moana. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you can watch Moana. Sure. He, I'm hearing only 100% uh, hits. Yes. So. You have to watch that. The, 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 All bops. Can we also watch like the two episodes of House where he played House's cellmate in yes, the insane of asylum? Course. What about his dark magics now? Yeah. There's no music in that, but uh, Lin Manuel's in it. So So yeah, maybe you'll maybe you'll even start with like the mixtape where he Yeah, where he, I think yeah. you need to be asking the converse of this question of which one would you least like to sit through? Because everyone's just going to say Sondheim. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Listen, you're right. I like oh, Andrew. Andrew. No. He's right. He's right. You're going to sit through Cats and Love yeah. Never Dies? Sure. No. no. During I love you. Love you love oh, oh, Emily, you're fired. Your love will die for that shit. You're fired. Oh, I thought it was stupid when I finally saw it, but and, the music was nice. Yeah, that's what everyone says about the, the Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, because he's a... F- plagiaristic fraud mm. that just How likes to write really music for the sound of his own farts. <laughs> and he likes to All get right. married to actresses that played Christine in a not, in a totally creepy way. I mean, yeah. yeah, but... yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> 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 All right, well, then what is your answer? Um, so I'm th- it's kind of a tie. Yeah. Um, Stephen Schwartz? Because uh-huh. he did he did Wicked, yes. Children of Eden. And Pippin. Pippin, yep, Pippin Godspell. Love that. Yep, yep. Steve Schwartz and then Magic Show and then uh, Lynn Aaron's Flaherty and Aaron's yeah Flaherty and Aaron's I mean Ragtime Susicle Susicle Once on this Island <laughs> Once on this Island yeah the it's hell a tie else did they do? between the three of I them I feel there well, was something else two, that was not as delightful I could listen to yeah. Once on this Island all day final thoughts on Ernest Q0 reasons people should come see the show things you want everyone to know about you your dark intimate <laughs> Secrets, uh, skeletons in your closet. If you've never seen Importance of Being Earnest, it is important, and I earnestly <laughs> tell you that you need to. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, don't, I don't know if I need to say Mike anything. Drop. Right. <laughs> well, I would tip the mic over if it Excellent. didn't damage it. Yeah. Emily, anything? Are you good both um, with that? You know, I just... Come see Ernest. Yes. It's, you know... I, if not for the sheer enjoyment of it, which you will enjoy it, 
you'll give yourself some, you'll culture yourselves, you know? <laughs> yeah. This was written by Oscar Wilde. How many times can you say you've read anything by Oscar Wilde, much like less 15, see, okay. 25 well, times? You, well, you're cultured. You, you, you're cultured. I'm talking about the people who aren't. <laughs> um, but yeah, when, when was the last time you could say you've read anything by Oscar Wilde, much less seen anything performed by mm. Oscar Wilde? So... I mean, if not for the sheer enjoyment of the show as we are all enjoying performing it, just for the culture. Yes. For the culture. Well, thank you both for uh, you know taking some time to talk with me. Uh, the Importance of Being Earnest plays February 28th through March 1st, and it's a leap year, so that is three days, <laughs> uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire at Creva Academy Public Charter School. Uh, tickets are on sale now at cztheater.com. Do not wait to get them. This is going to be the surefire hit of the season. Um, once again, this is artistic director Dan Pelletier signing off. And as we always say, support local theater, join the revolution. <laughs>